chapter 10. We continue to march through the Gospel of John as a faith family, really beginning to get on the home stretch. So it's an exciting time for us as we continue to see just John's account, John's perspective on who Jesus Christ was. Last week, Mike shared with us Jesus. We've been seeing over and over again these I am statements. We saw another I am statement from uh, Jesus last week. He said, I am the good shepherd. And we'll see more about that this week. But let's turn over to John chapter uh, 10 and verse 22 is where we are going to get started. It says this, In the festival of dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Anyone feel familiar with that? (laughs) Jesus was walking in the temple in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now, when you're looking at this, we see this here that it's talking about the Feast of Dedication. And again, a lot of John's writings, as we've seen throughout this gospel, revolves around a lot of these Jewish festivals. Jewish people love their festivals. And so again, we have the festival of dedication, and there was always meaning behind the festival uh, of each festival. Uh, they would usually celebrate their history. The Jewish people had a very, have a very rich history. And at this time of Jesus here, somewhere around 2,000 years ago, this was a fairly new celebration. Now, the Passover, the Feast of the Passover was an ancient celebration. It had gone over thousands and thousands of years. They celebrated when God had led the people of Israel out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt, and the death angel passed over their house if they had the blood on the door. They celebrated that every year to remember the promise of them being God's covenant people. Well, here at Jesus' time, this feast, this festival, was really pretty recent. It was fairly new. Because in 167 B.C., about 167 years before the birth of Christ, the Syrians overtook the temple in Jerusalem. And the Jews were ticked off about that. Can you imagine that? Okay, the temple, when we think of the temple, think of it, it was more than a church, like we think of a church building. It was the center of life. Everything revolved around it. Spiritually, economically, Everything revolves around the temple. So in 167 BC, the Syrian Empire came in and overtook the temple. Well, the Jews were hacked off about this. They were ticked about this invasion. And so they began to bond together. They grew strong enough. And over a span of three years, they were able to overthrow the, overthrow the Syrians and recapture the temple. After they recaptured the temple, after they revolted against the Syrians, they, had, they rededicated the temple. They had a rededication of it. And during this rededication, they celebrated for eight days. And then they started celebrating every year, and they called this the Feast of Dedication, or as we might hear of it today, Hanukkah. So they were celebrating for eight days. That's one thing I also love about Jewish culture. I mean, when they party, they party, right? Like we as, we as Americans, for our Thanksgiving, we have one day, and we pack it all into one day. No, they spread their feasts and festivals out. So for eight days, they would celebrate this in the winter. 
Well, Jesus, as a Jewish man, he celebrated this as well. So in the winter, at this celebration, the Feast of Dedication, celebrating when they had thrown the the Syrians out and they had rededicated the temple, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they surround Jesus and they ask him if he is the Messiah. Because I'm sure it's a very tight-knit culture. Rumors had begun to swirl. Is this the Messiah? They had waited centuries for the Messiah. And so I'm sure rumors had begun to swirl around the people. The religious leaders, they want to know for themselves. Jesus has been making claims. I mean, we just saw a couple weeks ago, Jesus told them, before Abraham was, I am, which is a huge statement. So they come to Jesus and they ask him, are you the Messiah? They had heard his claims, they had seen his miracles. They ask, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? How long are you going to drag this out? I remember when I was uh, dating uh, Mary Lane, and there was a time when we weren't dating, we were in that awkward stage of, are we friends, are we more than friends? Anyone else remember that, that stage? Anyone else in that same boat as me? Some of you are like, no, it was just love at first sight, you lie. Okay, there's no such thing. And so we had this, we had this, you know, this awkward, like, are we friends, are we more than friends? And finally, one time in the, in the driveway of her, her grandmother's house, uh, just not too far from here, actually, I asked her, are we more than like, I was like these, these Pharisees and Sadducees, how long are you going to keep me in suspense? How long are we going to go? Well, they're asking a deeper question here than asking a girl out. They are asking, how are you the Messiah? Tell us plainly. Shoot straight with us. Well, let's see what Jesus' response was. Look at verse 25. Jesus said, I did tell you, and you don't believe. Jesus answered them, The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe, because you are not my you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are what? One. So after they ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? Jesus is telling them here, We see this. He says, I told you and you don't believe the works I do that prove who I am. It's almost like Jesus is asking these guys, are you not paying attention? Have you not seen what I've done? The works that I do prove who I am. And consistently throughout the Gospel of John, we see the signs or miracles. Some theologians and scholars call the Gospel of John the book of signs revolving around seven signs that we've already seen here in the Gospel of John. I mean, think about it. In John chapter 2, just here in John, not, not even Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but just here in John, we saw in John chapter 2, Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding of Cana. In chapters 4 and 5, we, we saw him heal the sick. In chapter 6, he fed the 5,000. 
Also in chapter 6, he walked on water, not even to mention the other miracles that are recorded in the other three Gospels. Jesus is telling these religious leaders, leaders, all of that I have been doing, prove who I am. Have you been paying attention? And even today, when we read about these miracles, these signs proves who Jesus is. Only God could turn water into wine. No one in Napa Valley in California is turning water into wine right now. Only God could do that. Only God could heal the sick, feed over 5,000 people with just a small amount of food. Only God could walk on the water and heal the blind. Only God could do that. And it could be easy for us to really ask ourselves, well, did this really happen? You know, the water and the wine, walking on the water. Like, it's easy to doubt that because that's a pretty miraculous thing that we're seeing there. But here, in, if, you want, if you believe in Christianity, belief in Christianity, belief in Jesus Christ is supernatural. There has to be a belief in the supernatural. The Bible talks about the supernatural all the time. Because in Genesis 1, out of nothing, God created the entire universe. That's supernatural. So if you have a hard time believing that God could turn water into wine, then you're going to have trouble with Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. So the Bible's full of the supernatural. So the fact that Jesus did all of these signs and miracles proves who he is, not only 2,000 years ago, but also today. And so far we've seen in this gospel, some people have believed, and some people don't believe. Look again up in verse 26. Jesus tells them, but you don't believe. Because you are not of my sheep. He said, you don't believe. They're not getting it. Even though they've heard Jesus teach, though they've witnessed and investigated some of the miracles, remember our poor, uh, our poor friend, the, blind, uh, the man blind from birth and how they investigated him? They've seen all this, yet they have not believed. And in order for someone to believe Jesus for salvation, a miracle has to take place. And the reality is that miracle doesn't always happen. That miracle has to take place. And then Jesus goes back to what Mike unpacked for us last week. Jesus goes back to that picture of a shepherd. I love this analogy that Jesus gives of the shepherd. Mike did a great job talking about Jesus being the good shepherd. And again, in verse 27, Jesus kind of repeats himself from previously up in John 10. You can read that later. But he says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So here I'm kind of piggybacking off a little bit of what Mike said last week, but that when a person knows Jesus, a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a believer this morning, you are described as a sheep. Now you might say, Adam, that's not very nice. That's not very complimentary, but aren't we sheep? I mean, sheep are, I'm not a sheep farmer. I'm not going to pretend to be, but as I understand, sheep are not the most intelligent creatures on the planet. They're not, I've been in petting zoos, they're kind of not the cleanest of creatures on the animals, but isn't sheep a great way to describe us? 
of sometimes we're not the most intelligent people on the face of the planet. Sometimes we're not always the spiritual, spiritually cleanest of creatures on the planet. But Jesus says here, and this is such a beautiful picture here, and I hope this is an encouragement to you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And if you are not a believer, I hope this, the Holy Spirit will motivate you to have this in your life. But Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. They recognize it. A few minutes ago, you probably heard my daughter just crying on the front row, right? I can hear one of my kids, if they cry, I can recognize immediately their cry because of my experiences in the middle of the night. Like, I know which one it is. And I know, you know a child by their cry. We know each other by our, our, the inflection of our voices, by our accents that we have. Like, we have some people from Alabama sprinkled into our church, and you know when they're from Alabama by the accents of their voices. And you know who they are. BB gives me an ugly look. Uh, you know by their voices who they're from. And Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. So a evidence of being a believer in Jesus Christ is hearing the voice of Jesus. And you might ask yourself, Adam, how do I hear the voice of Jesus? How do I know if he's speaking to me? We talked about this a little bit in our small group. I referenced an NFL, a former NFL superstar whose name I won't mention, but he said that Jesus came to him in a helicopter in a hotel room. Now, whether or not what happened there, I don't know. But you say, Adam, Jesus has never come and spoke to me in a helicopter in a hotel room. How do I know that Jesus is speaking to me? Well, look at verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. We'll get back to that in a second. And what does, the, what does it say? They follow me. So you say, Adam, how do I know that I hear the voice of Jesus and evidences of hearing is following? Do I follow him? Do I obey him? Do I listen to what Jesus is saying? That is an evidence of saving faith. And here's the awesome reality for this. As sheep following the good shepherd, this is not some distant shepherd that we don't barely know. This is not some figure that that doesn't know us, because what does Jesus say? My sheep hear my voice, I know them. So there's relationship there between the shepherd and the sheep. There's that relationship here. And you could be sitting here, let me just appeal to you, if you might be sitting here and you might be skeptical about Christianity, I understand. I've been there before. There's a lot to digest when it comes to Christianity. But let me tell you, one of the greatest things about the belief system that we call Christianity is the reality that you and I have access to God the Creator in relationship. There is no other religion quite like Christianity. Buddhism. This Buddha is this far-off figure. You You can't know him. The religion of Muslim. You can't know Allah. He's a far-off being. That's not how it is in Christianity. We know the shepherd, and the shepherd knows us. There's an intimate relationship there. So we hear his voice. We recognize the sheep, recognize his voice. He knows us, and we follow him. There's obedience there. 
in our community group last week, uh, Dennis and Brenda Engel are in our community group, and they shared just a, a really neat picture. They said they went to Israel, and if I get the story wrong, guys, uh, correct me later. But they went to Israel, and they noticed that the sheep, the shepherds there in Israel, as they were touring Israel, the shepherd was out in front, and the sheep were following behind. They recognized the shepherd. The shepherd has my best interest in mind. Safety is found in that shepherd, and they led him. But we as Americans, we don't herd sheep and cattle like that, do we? We force. We're in the back. We've got dogs around. But no, in, in, in Israel, they lead their sheep by their voice, that small, still voice. Hold your finger here. We're going to do a lot of turning today. So turn over to Psalm 23. We talk about Jesus being this shepherd. Psalm 23 is probably next to John 3:16, the most familiar passage of Scripture in all of the Bible. Psalm 23, verse 1, you probably don't even have to turn there. But as we hear this, we need to keep the image of Jesus being the good shepherd as we read this. So John, or Psalm 23, verse 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. And we're not talking about spiritual, we're not talking about food here. We're talking about I have everything I need spiritually. But that's another sermon for another time. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. There's a picture from David there in the Old Testament of Psalm 23, what Jesus was going to come and provide. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. But look again at verse 28. Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given, to me, given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So now as sheep of Jesus, we receive eternal life. We will never perish. We're not talking about physical life. We're talking about spiritual life. We are given eternal life by the Good Shepherd. And we'll never perish. But we're also offered security. How many of you are very secure-minded? Like security is at the top of your mind. And Linda Keller, you better raise your hand right now. Security, right? We're after security. That's what we seek in life. We want security. And Jesus says, my sheep are eternally secure. No one can snatch them away. It's a doctrine called eternal security. That once 
we're a sheep of Jesus, we're always a sheep. We don't get snatched away. You cannot lose your salvation. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you cannot lose your salvation. Say, Adam, are you sure? Yes. Look over, turn over to Ephesians chapter 1 with me. I told you we're going to be bouncing around a little bit today. Go over to Ephesians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul elaborates on this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul says, In Him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you also believed, were what? Sealed in Him with the promised Holy Spirit. So Paul says when you, we hear the word of truth, we hear the gospel which saves us, and when we believe, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. There's a sealing. I think of like a mason jar if you're into uh, 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 jarring fruit. There's another name for it. They come up with canned fruit. That's what canned fruits and vegetables. That's not very good, but people do it. And they, they seal that. Why is that, that, that lid on that mason jar sealed? It's to keep it secure. It's that sealing there. So through the Holy Spirit, which we receive at salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells us. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit, and we sometimes we as uh, Baptists, we don't like to talk about the Holy Spirit because he's like that crazy uncle that shows up sometimes and we get a little freaked out about that. But the Holy Spirit seals our salvation, guarantees it. It's like receiving a contract with a seal stamped on it. And Paul says our salvation is sealed. It's guaranteed. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. I love Romans 8. I think I've said that a few times before. But Romans chapter 8, look at the very end of Romans chapter 8. Verse 38. Paul says, verse 38, for I am persuaded. That's what, you know what Paul's saying? He's like, you can't talk me out of this. I am holding on to this. I'm going to be pretty stubborn over this. What do you say? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what that's saying? Our salvation is guaranteed. No one can snatch us out of Christ's hand. Jesus even said back in John 10, he says, My Father who has given them to me. God the Father has given, to me, given them to me, and he's greater than all. This is the authority here, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Faith family, listen, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter how you feel, no matter what you've done this week, no matter what is going on in your life, if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, your salvation is not, is not decided or dictated on what you and I do. Our salvation is only dictated on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, nothing else. 
no matter what mood we're in right now, no matter how depressed we feel, no matter the doubts we have in our lives. And believe me, I understand. I understand the doubts that can creep into our hearts and our minds about our relationship with God. But listen, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. You are secure in the shepherd's hand. So no matter what doubts you are experiencing right now, no matter what, even if God feels a million miles away and he doesn't hear you and you're having trouble or even recognizing his voice right now, you are eternally secure. You are sealed. So this week when you hear Satan whispering lies into your ears about that you don't deserve salvation... That you don't deserve a relationship with Christ and, is, and, 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 and asking, are these things about Jesus real? And you have those doubts. Remember that no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. No one. Not even Satan himself. You are secure. And there's confidence that comes with that. So the sheep receive eternal life. They will never perish. They receive security. And look at the response of, this, of these religious leaders. Because Jesus inserts a key phrase here in verse 30. He says, no one is able to snatch him out of the Father's hand. And Jesus says, I and the Father are one. So he's saying the Father's hand that the sheep can't be snatched out, that in reality is my hand. That's my hand. So the salvation, and again, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, that hand that secures your salvation is the same hand that purchased your salvation. And God didn't just send one of his kids to come save us. No, God himself came to save us. And Jesus says, I and God the Father are one. Now look at the response by these Pharisees and Sadducees. Now before we read that, I just want to put a disclaimer on this. It's going to be easy for us to judge the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they are worthy of judgment. But, I would argue that you and I, in this situation, pretty good probability would react the same way they did. Okay? So let's not pass judgment. We have the, the benefit of hindsight being twenty twenty. They did not. And we're going to explain this in just a minute here. But look at verse 31. See their reaction. Again, here we go again, right? Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. Which of these works are you stoning me? We aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Isn't it written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called those whom the word of God came to gods, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say you are blasphem blaspheming to the one the Father set apart 
and sent into the world because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing my Father's works, don't believe me. But if I am doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works. This way you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Then they were trying again to seize him, but he eluded their grasp. So here Jesus says, I and the Father are one. What do they do? They pick up rocks to stone him. And we might say again, we, our initial reaction might be here, what is their problem? Why would they do this? But we have to remember, these Pharisees and Sadducees had devoted their entire life their entire life, devoted their entire life to knowing, studying, and following the law of Moses. You say, Adam, what's the law of Moses? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, especially Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in that law, it said, if someone claims to be God, you stone him. You say, Adam, really? Yes, really. Turn over to Leviticus. Now stay awake. I know we hear Leviticus and our minds immediately, oh, shut down. But I want you to see this, because these guys, they followed the law of Moses to the T. They had it memorized forwards and backwards. They held on to it. It was their, their, their basis of living. And they said here, it says here in Leviticus 24, 16, it says, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. The whole community is to stone him. If he blasphemes the name, he is to be put to death, whether the resident alien or the native. So here it says, if anyone blasphemes the name of God, claims to be God, stone him. So back here in John chapter 10, a few thousand years after this was written, what are they doing? They're just following the rules. They're following the rules. This guy, he's obviously a human being. He's claiming to be God. They think at times he's demon-possessed and crazy. He's claiming to God, it is time we stone him. They try to stone him. And we can, again, be judgmental for these guys, but they were just trying to do the right thing. But because of their law, because of their tradition, because of their religion, they missed it. They missed it. Jesus even said, why are you trying to stone me after all these good things that I've been trying to do? And they said, we're not stoning you for doing good things. They even kind of say, we're reasonable people here. We're not stoning you for doing these good things, healing blind people and feeding people and, you know, providing wine. I mean, who doesn't like the guy that provides the wine? We're not stoning you for that. We are stoning you for claiming to be God. And Jesus says, if I'm not doing my Father's works, do not believe me. Jesus is saying, it is my works that prove who I am. And they miss it because of their religion, because of their tradition, because they are unwilling to change. Because here's what Jesus has been doing. Not only here in John, but the, all, the three other Gospels. Jesus is taking their religious tradition and turning it on its head. I mean, he's healing people on the Sabbath. He's claiming to be God. And he's changing the entire religious system. And Jesus had the right to do that. And, but because of there's this change, there's conflict. 
And they're trying to preserve that. And Jesus, again, claims that he and God the Father are equal. We are equal. He says, finally, he says, this way you will know and understand. Verse 38, this is why I am doing these things. The Father is in me, and I in the Father. But there's still unbelief. So there's some questions we have to ask ourselves. We need to ask ourselves first, are we one of the sheep of Jesus? Do we hear his voice? Do we follow him? Do we hear and recognize his voice? Do we have that relationship there? Do you have that relationship with Jesus? And if you do, your eternity is secure. He knows you. So there's security in that. Do we believe that Jesus is truly God to where it affects what we do? You say, Adam, you say that belief and it affects, affects what we do. What is that what we do? What is that action? It is following the shepherd. It's obedience. So do we believe in the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who affects what we do? Do we follow and obey him? Because as we do, we will begin to see a clearer and clearer picture of who Jesus is as the shepherd. So the action that we must do is, one, believe. Believe. Believe in Jesus. Hear his voice. He's calling out. He is pursuing you. He's pursuing a love relationship with you. Listen and believe. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian this morning, believe. Believe that your eternity is secure and believe that Jesus knows you intimately.